When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So we are big recyclers in our house. And uh, we have these big blue rolly recycling bins that we take to the street. Um, And we fill those two each week. Usually we'll have less than one rolly thing of trash. Most of what we have is recycling. But recycling has had a really, really hard time in the United States. And it's because of a dirty little secret, and that is that the Chinese used to take most of our goods to be recycled. And who knows exactly what happened with those goods that were destined for recycling when they got to China. And now the communists no longer accept our recycling. So we're on our own to deal with it. A lot of governments around the country have choked on the amount of recycling they're having to figure out how to process and it's put a burden on local governments in a year they can't afford that burden and then in turn on taxpayers so what do you do with all this single-use stuff well something that has caught on overseas that the wall street journal reports is starting to happen in the united states is that uh Corporations that generate all this waste are now starting to be willing to take on some of the costs involved in processing this stuff into new uses. You know, brands have a really strong need to appeal to younger consumers. And there's a generation split in the United States with consumer goods between people that are under 35 as a general rule and people that are older. Not that people, there aren't people that are environmental in older populations, but environmental is really, really important overwhelmingly to people that are younger. That's why there are now these uh, stores. We talked about this on the show maybe six months ago. There are now these stores where you bring your own reusable containers that you fill of certain items, particularly especially people who cook organic, things like that, they bring their own 
their own pouches or containers that they buy the items in. You uh, you release a lever and it fills up your container, and so you're not touching the items and no cross contamination. And then you're buying that way. And I have a daughter who is extremely environmentally oriented and she does this kind of stuff and so we're in a generational shift and these companies that use single-use plastics and things like that don't want to be left behind they don't want their products banned so you're going to see that this becomes a shared responsibility here in the united states where we take these items and process them for reuse but it's not all going to be on you and me as taxpayers. The companies that produce these items and sell them, they're going to have to pay their fair share. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hi, Clark. Chris, Thanks you for are taking. sure you're you're worried about your dad. Why are you worried about your dad? Yes, uh, he has been with the same company for over thirty years, so all of his retirement savings are in the same 401k. He's very conservative in how he's invested it. In fact, it's all in the form of cash right now as he is approaching retirement. And I don't think I can convince him to diversify for the sake of increased returns, but I think, and I'm not sure, that he should have it diversified simply for the sake of making sure he's fully FDIC insured as he does have over 250,000. So the money in the 401k is pretty much as safe as it could be. Okay. So it's, it would be extremely rare that anything in the 401k would be at risk. See, I thought you were going to say something else. Some 401k plans used to have a big push for employees to have their 401k money in the company stock, and that I would be terrified by. But if your dad has gone what is really, in my opinion, too far the other way, which is having all the 401k money essentially in cash, that's not at risk being that way, but his long-term future is at risk having the money just in cash. Because how old's your dad? He is going to be 60 in a year. All right. So your dad, if the actuarial tables are right, your dad has probably two and a half decades in front of him. Now, if you think about at 60, we're talking about thinking back to when he was 35 and how much has gone on in his life between 35 and 60. He's got that much life potentially in front of him now. And so having money just in cash or savings or whatever is a choice that means that inflation over these decades will really harm the money he's got. And I would rather like to see him in a conservative portfolio in that 401k, or even if he moved the money to his own IRA or something like that, something other than just being in cash. So your worry is not one that I would really be too concerned about. Okay, great. What's your dad going to live on? uh, Social Security and the retirement uh, income from the 401k. So Um, that's what he's got in front of him. All right. Yeah. So 
I think it would be really wise for him since he has managed to save, you said it was a quarter million, right? Uh, actually closer to 700000 Oh my goodness, where did I come up with a quarter yeah. million? 700000 is sitting in cash? Yeah, the 250000 came from you know, the FDIC insurance level that I was concerned about. Oh. Um, him maybe in a, the event of a disaster, him only be being covered, covered for degree. the 250. All right. What yeah. I would really love for your dad to do is sit down with a financial planner who signs the fiduciary pledge, which means that the advice that he would receive is advice where the individual is only giving advice that's in your dad's best interests just to get a plan in front of him for how he's going to handle what may be another 25 years of life that he wants to make sure this money lasts. And I know this isn't the question you called to ask me at all, but it's where I'd really like for you and your dad to think about. And I think a great outlet would be for him to go sit down with somebody at a Garrett Planning Network office and you pay him by the hour to give advice on what they would recommend that your dad do with this huge pile of money that's got to last the next many decades. Great. I think that's enough to motivate him to uh, to take those steps. Well, that's great. Really great. And uh, congratulations to him for having saved so much money through the years because that makes such a difference in what his life is going to be like in retirement. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mark. How can I serve you? Uh, yeah, I've been looking into life insurance. Um, I'm I'm 54 and uh, looking. You know, it's so confusing going through the whole all the rivers of life insurance, and you don't know what to get or any type of thing like that. That's so, because the um, industry wants it to be confusing. Oh, it definitely is. Um, I'm uh, like I said, I'm 54, retired military. Thank you for your service. Have you? Are you a USAA member? Uh, I am, but I don't really use it that much. So that I would sense, suggest I one starting place is to get a quote on level term insurance from USAA. Uh, level term is a product where it has a flat rate for the number of years you buy it for, usually 10 to 30 year period. And all it does is in the event of your death, it pays a death benefit to your survivor. No games, no gimmicks, no options. It just it just pays if you don't make it till the end of that term. And if you do, let's say you live past, let's say you get for 30 years and you live past that. Then, then you get nothing. <laughs> but, but think of the benefit. I mean, that means you made it to 84 in a day. Oh, I have no, I have no illusions of living that long. <laughs> so the the advantage of level term is you're not paying for gimmicks. You're not paying for some kind of supposed savings account or investment account or anything like that. You're just buying death coverage. And that okay. should be the purpose of life insurance is to provide for your loved ones. What's your backstory? What's your family situation? Who is it you're trying to protect? Well, I have a 27-year-old and I have a 7-year-old. Okay, that's a pretty good gap. You outran me. My gap is 16 years from oldest to youngest. So, yeah. Beat me by four years, years here. So, you <laughs> well, have an insurable need for normally at 54, I would talk to you about 
needing insurance till you were at normal retirement age, which should be 10 years. In your case, you need at least 15 years level term, maybe 20 having a seven-year-old. Let's say 15 would be a normal cycle because you start looking at buying 20 years at age 54. It's going to get pretty pricey, but you buy 15 years, it'll be more affordable. Because what you want to do is you want to get your children into adulthood. Yes. And you got one already there, so you're taking care of the other with a 15-year policy. Uh, Clark, what do you know about service group life insurance, like for retirees? I've I've kind of looked into that, but I don't know if you have any knowledge. It's through the military retirees. I don't know if you... I'm not knowledgeable, but the way you'd figure it out is compare the premiums. Well, yeah, yeah. And so with level term, it's really, really easy. So you simply compare like the USAA 15-year level term against I've got a bunch of companies you can check that are on my term life insurance guide on Clark.com. We can get mm-hmm. quotes from multiple companies or even those that don't even require a physical exam because they base their premiums in instant issue based on your medical history that they can access online. And okay. so this is something that, that has confused you. You can actually go from being confused by it to having a policy issued 15 minutes from now. Oh, wow. So it's much easier than the industry would like you to think. Okay, so it's... And I, I hear different commercials like Select Quote and things like that. Or yeah, those are fine. Those you just gimmicky? you just put in the 15 years at Select Quote or any of their competitors, and they'll show you a variety of companies and what they charge uh, per year for a 15-year policy. Okay, so anything like with your USAA, uh, like level term insurance, just... Uh, yeah, so you well, can go on, if you remember how to sign in your USAA dashboard, you can get a yeah. quote there, or you can call up and talk with a life insurance specialist at USAA and make it clear to them you're only interested in 15-year level term, or if they twist your arm and convince you you should do 20-year and tell you why I'm wrong about 15, that would be fine too. But none of the other junk, nothing, no whole life, no universal life no universal variable life none of that garbage stay away from all of it it's really smells bad janie's with us janie welcome to the clark howard show how you doing i have a 2009 chevy and i I bought it used and it's it's in pretty good shape but i was wondering if one of the extended warranties, even though I never had a warranty on it to begin with, would be worth the money. It's in decent shape, but I'm starting to have little things happen with it. So what's happened is that your Chevy, as a trade-in, is probably worth something around maybe $3,000. So it's not; it doesn't have enough value left in the market for it to be anywhere close to, even if you could buy a legitimate good uh, service contract on it or warranty, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be worth spending the money because your vehicle's at the point that if it had a major thing go wrong with it, like needed a new transmission, needed a new engine, mm-hmm. you're done with it at that point. Okay. It's not worth okay. enough to insure because it's so heavily depreciated out. That makes sense. I, I hadn't thought about that, yeah. 
Yeah, it really wouldn't be worth throwing that money into it. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and Consumer then, Reports and I disagree on this. Consumer Reports says that when if a repair reaches a point that the cost of fixing something is more than the remaining value of the vehicle, mm-hmm. that's when you choose not to fix it. You know, they say okay. any amount up to the value of the vehicle, you should spend the money and fix it. I've always said half of the remaining value. And the reason I've always said half is that when you have something that needs a meaningful repair, the next repair for it may be not too far off in the future. And that's why I like half. But Consumer Reports is probably financially and mathematically correct. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. if you needed a repair on that that was more than $3,000, that's when you bag the, the 10-year-old vehicle and it's time for another one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I guess once you put something new in a 10-year-old vehicle, it's going to wear and tear on the other old stuff, which is going to have to be replaced also. Well, okay. who, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But, you know, as long as you're happy with the vehicle, as you said, and it has very little remaining value in it. It's to your advantage to drive it till basically it's not worth it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I tend to drive my vehicles until they just absolutely drop. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I got that from you, actually. Really? So Yes. I've, I've been listening to you for a while, and I, I passed your wisdom on to my son, so hopefully he listens to you also. But thank you very much. <laughs> Certainly. And have a great day. And it's so exciting to me that people are keeping vehicles so much longer than they used to, because the advantage of that is outstanding. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Wow, I feel like an idiot. I feel like I let you down several times because I had, over time, a number of people ask me about the H, the Hewlett-Packard Free Printing for Life program, or Free Ink for Life, as it was called. So I've always harshed on Hewlett-Packard for their business model with printers. HP dominates the printing market, and HP sells the actual printers at a loss because what they want is they want you hooked on their printer where they can rip you off on ink. And there are various estimates that people have done that the ink that Hewlett-Packard sells you for a printer is seven, eight, nine thousand dollars $9,000 a gallon that costs basically nothing to produce. So as more and more people became aware about how HP was ripping them off, HP came up with a free Ink for Life subscription plan. And when I saw in Consumer Reports that they were reneging, I couldn't believe it. So the deal was a lot of people will buy like an uh, inkjet printer and they use it sparingly. People don't print nearly as much as they used to. And so the deal was for the last three years, if you bought one of these printers, They advertised it that you had the first 15 pages you'd print each month for free as a subscription plan. 
because they are online with you. They know how many copies you're doing, and then they charge you beyond that for the number of printing jobs you do. Well, then HP decides, you know what? Too many people are staying within the 15-page limit now, not paying any fees to us, so the gig's up. We're not ripping people off on the ink anymore. So now, HP is, has changed the plan, the For Life plan, and now you have to pay from the very first print you do each month. And you're stuck with the price you paid for the printer. At least they lost money selling you the printer. And the truth is, if you print not a lot of copies each month, even at the new ripoff fee, it still makes it much cheaper than the massive amount that HP charges for their ripoff ink. So what's the alternative? The alternative is to use, well, years ago I used to talk about the late, not-so-great Kodak printers that were very unreliable. But I use an Epson printer that is part of their Eco or Echo Tank series. I don't know if you say Eco Tank or Echo Tank. Anyway, um, that I love using, and they don't rip you off on the ink. You pay an actual real price for the printer, and then the ink, it comes with, the printer comes with two years of ink-free, and then when you need more, it costs almost nothing. So you're not having to worry you get ripped off on ink. I still use, with my company, I do quite a bit of printing still. So I am using up ink. And the money I've saved is in tons of money. I can't quantify it, but it's been a lot that I save. Um, the printers, uh, the Epsons I've used, I'm very happy with. Others have complained to me regularly about the Epson. So I should tell you also, Brother has a product where you pay more for the printer, but then you don't get ripped off on the ink. But this Hewlett-Packard thing of going back on their word is just wrong, wrong, wrong. So you made a deal with people. You should have stuck with the deal you made with people. And to change it is no way to do business. Armand is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Armand. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. How can I be of service to you, Armand? Yeah, so I had a question. I know with interest rates recently going down, uh, I've got a savings account as well as a retirement account, and wasn't sure if I should move most of that money in my savings account over to my retirement account now or if I should keep it as is. So that's a great question, and it's one that's on a lot of people's minds because you know we had the big run-up in the stock market from 2009 to 2014, and then over the last years, it's moved up more moderately, but we've had roughly 10 years of the stock market going on an up escalator. And now we're in a time where there's a recession. So people start getting nervous. Where should their money be? And then at the same time they're nervous about that, 
interest rates are falling on savings. So the question I have to ask you is, what's your need for the money that you have that's both invested in stock type choices and the money you have in savings? So my retirement account that I currently have is uh, in a Roth IRA, and then I also have a brokerage account, and those are both in index funds currently. So and I'm how far are you away from retirement? I'm still quite a ways away. I'm mid-20s. So I've still got oh, man, cool. yeah. So all that money you should just have invested, like you're doing, and what happens in the near term matters not at all for the long term, because you've got a 40-year window we're looking at. Okay, yeah, I know I still have plenty of time to work. I just didn't know, because uh, right now I'd say with all of my assets, 75% of it is in my retirement account. I didn't know if 25% to keep in savings was good or if I should put more of that percentage towards my retirement account. So having money available in savings earning a puny percent seems like you're going nowhere, but it's actually taking you somewhere important in your life. Like, do you own a home yet? I do not, no. All right, so one of the things that that savings affords you is money for a down payment on a home you might want to buy. If you have a reversal in your life, having some money in savings is really valuable for you to deal with that. So the idea of having money for a rainy day, the most common thing is three to six months of living expenses. Do you have enough in that savings that you could live for three to six months? I do. I would say currently it's about nine months worth of expenses. All right. So you having that much is not a priority necessarily. And okay. you could move some of it into investing because a six-month cushion is really great and a lot of people are jealous of you listening to you that you have that kind of cushion. But let's go back to the house again. Is that something that's a goal of yours in the next five years? Not a huge priority, no. No plans of it right now. Or if that's not a priority for you, then I think having six months rainy day money and investing the other money you have sounds great. Are you out of tax advantage places to put money like your Roth IRA? Are you maxing it each year? I am currently maxing it. And... You said you had a brokerage account. Does that mean you don't have a 401k available to you? I do not, no. That's why I have my own account. So you have the Roth. And are you self-employed or do you work for somebody? No, I have an employer. I work for someone. And they are not kind enough to have a 401k for you? Unfortunately not. They are a relatively new company, so not at this moment. Okay. So then as the alternative you're considering, putting some of that excess rainy day money into the brokerage account into the index fund choice you have there or index funds that seems like a good idea to me and i'm just so impressed that you're living on so much less than what you make the long-term benefit german is huge of doing that paula's with us on the clark howard show hi paula hi how are you great thank you paula I just wanted to know, this year I want to buy, I want to purchase a house. I currently live in a condo. I do not like condo living, so that's why I want to switch over and buy a house. 
However, you need 20% down. I was wondering if I could use my Roth IRA and then pay it back within that time frame that they give you. Would that be okay or yeah, not? Yeah, you can okay? do that. You can do that within 60 days, but you have yeah. to do it a crazy way. Mm-hmm. You have to move your IRA from one company handling your Roth to another. Yes. And that's what I was planning on doing because I actually do have to switch it over because I do have a new employer. So I wasn't sure if I was going to move that money anyway into my own or put it on if I could slide it into my new employer's account. All right. So wait, um, you said the money was Roth IRA or Roth 401k? Roth IRA, I I believe. All right. If it's employer money... It would be a Roth 401k. If it's your own account, it's a Roth IRA. They matched it. Whatever I put yeah, in. Yeah, so that's matched. an employer-provided plan. Okay. So okay. here's the problem with an employer-provided plan. Okay. You can ask them for a cash out of it. But okay. They hold 20% back for taxes. Okay. And you don't get that 20% back till you file your return the following year. Oh, okay. So you're without that money for that entire period of time. Okay. So okay. if it was a if it was uh, if you had time, you could move it from the old employer okay. into your own IRA. Okay. And then can you withdraw at that point? You could withdraw your contributions. I'm trying to think when, when there's... The employer match money would be pre-tax. If you're contributing to a Roth 401k, your money would be after tax, but what the employers mm-hmm. contribute is pre-tax. Mm-hmm. So you could move all the money into your own IRA and your own Roth IRA. Okay. The Roth portion, you can pull out at any time for any reason... You could move it to as as long as I pay it back, or do I need to pay it back within? You don't have to pay it back, but you can't turn around and put it back in past the six thousand you're allowed to contribute in a year. Oh, well, this gets really if you make even a single mistake in what you're trying to do, you get (laughs) clobbered tax wise. This is one of those cases where if you've ever used an accountant to do your taxes. You want to go over this, bring your statements, go over it with them, tell them what you want to do to try to come up with the 20% down, and make sure you do it exactly right, because I'm telling you, even a single tiny clerical error, and the IRS owns you. Oh, okay. But if if you can do everything exactly by the rule book, and you can get the money redeposited in an account with a new provider within 60 days... You may be able to pull it off, but you added several layers of complexity there with it being employer money and not your own personal Roth IRA. Barry is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Barry. How you doing? Good, Clark. How are you today? Great. So this is one of those situations that you make people green with envy. You've got surplus money and you're trying to figure out what's the best move. Well, my concern is I've had several friends and family members that have been told either not to pay off 
off their mortgage, or in some cases, one friend of mine, a coworker, had seven years left on his mortgage, and he was told to refinance it <gasps> because they need they need a write off. <gasps> and to me, I've always felt <sighs> and still do that you never get more from the write off than you you will in paying interest. You'll always pay more interest on the mortgage than you can deduct. It's not a tax. Please credit. tell me it's that friend deduction. did not do that. Did not can seven, the seven years left and do the refi because I'm having trouble getting deep breaths here. I'm doing my best I yoga know. concentrating, trying to I get some deep breaths. I've heard it from so many people. It's, it's ridiculous. And to me, the, the best thing you can do is to have no debt. Yeah. So the I'm a big believer in no debt. But, but let's go back to the whole mortgage interest deduction. Almost nobody, particularly with the much larger standard deduction we have now, Almost no one benefits from the mortgage interest deduction. I mean, you really have to have an annual income in the 300s or above, and you have to have a massive mortgage balance with very high interest payments for it to even begin to make sense to run a mortgage as a way supposedly to save on tax. So that is a false thing that a lot of people still believe and being mortgage debt free is not always the right answer, but purposely carrying mortgage debt, except for a tiny number of people, makes no sense either. What's your situation so I can know best what guidance to give? Well, actually, my situation is I'm, I rent, so I don't have a mortgage or anything like that. But oh. I, my sister-in-law is currently in a situation where she is possibly going to pay off uh, her mortgage. But again, her tax accountant said not to because they need a deduction. Does she make a a ton of money? No. Yes, I I hate to disagree with her. I'm I'm pretty sure they're below the 300,000 mark. Okay. (laughs) Still decent money. Um, I hate to disagree with an accountant without seeing her exact situation. But as a general rule... I would prefer if she has decent available money for emergencies and she's saving money for her future as she should, that if she's got idle cash earning not a whole lot, being mortgage debt free is important, obviously psychologically, but it's also potentially advantageous financially. And well, also, she's, she's uh, getting ready to retire fairly soon. If she's got a lot of idle cash, then... Uh, and you can't eat your house, you know, paying it off if you have no money exactly. to live on. But if she still has money to live on and she can live in retirement with no mortgage payments, that seems like a really good idea to me for her to be mortgage debt said. free. So uh, that, I was talking about it with her last week and I said, you know what? I said, I always listen to Clark Howard. I'm going to call the show and find out exactly what should be done here. And if you want her to call me and go over her specifics, her exact numbers with me on the show, I'll be happy to do that. And then I can give her laser-focused advice on her own mortgage. So that is a possibility, too. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.